In the late 90s, Daughter and I wrote a series of articles for a women's magazine. We called it Generation Gap, and each month we'd choose a topic of contention and each write about it from our individual point of view. We weren't allowed to see each other's article until we'd finished, and no changes were allowed afterwards. Daughter at the time was in her mid to late teens, so as you can imagine, we had plenty to disagree about and one of those things was her use of the phone. Now remember this was pre-mobile phone days when we only had a single phone in the house. Every day without fail, daughter would come home from school, change into her comfy clothes and phone her best friend, or her friend would phone her. The same friend she had spent the entire day with in school. What on earth have you got left to talk about? I'd ask, and she'd shush me and send me out of the room. An hour or so later and she'd still be on the phone. It was beyond me. Elder son's phone calls I could understand. Hi John, it's Rob. Do you want to play football? Okay, meet you down the field in 20 minutes. Bye. Now that's my sort of phone call. Of course that changed when he got a girlfriend. Even the most talk shy of boys can hog the phone then. That year I read somewhere that British Telecom had made a profit of £111 a second. That's £6,660 a minute. Profit. Every day. And I suggest that most of it came from the pockets of parents of teenage girls. But apparently that wasn't enough. There was a campaign on the television at the time to try to entice more men to use the phone for friendly chats. Rough and tough Cockney actor Bob Hoskins was the face of the campaign, saying the words, It's good to talk, to which I'd add if someone else is paying. These days, of course, everyone and his brother have a mobile phone. Though how much they used for actual conversation, that is, speaking, is doubtful. Have you seen a teenager on a phone, fingers flying over the keypad? They can hold an entire conversation by text in the time it takes me to find a question mark. Hmm. But that text-speak language, oh, I hate it. Don't get me started on the dreaded emojis. But still, it seems men aren't very good at communicating. At least not about the important things. I'll rephrase that. Not about the emotional things of life. Their feelings, their health, mental or otherwise. Three out of every four suicides are men, and men are nearly three times more likely to become alcohol dependent. And there is a grave disparity between these statistics and the low number of men who seek help. In our Western society on the whole, men are expected from childhood to be strong, to put on a brave face. Don't cry, you're a big boy now. Boys are brought up being told to hide their feelings that if they want to be real men, that's what they must be like. To acknowledge feeling low or admitting you may have a mental health problem is to somehow be less of a man. The pandemic only brought the problem into greater focus with lots of male-dominated workforces, such as taxi drivers, suffering disproportionately in terms of income and lack of government support, with all the knock-on effects that has on family, community and health. Fortunately, these days, the attitude to mental health is changing. Campaigns to encourage men to talk if they're struggling, to seek help 
and treatment if necessary abound. You'll see them on social media. Support groups are popping up all over the place. I know of men's sheds and walking groups, and I'm sure there are other initiatives. Stereotypically, women have always tended to talk more about their feelings. Where men go to the pub and talk about football and cars, women have coffee together and talk about families and problems. Before you all shout out, that's not true of you, let me say I am aware that is very much a generalisation, and I'm the exception that proves the rule, which is a saying I've never understood. Anyway, I don't talk. I keep things bottled up. Husband regularly says, how can I help you if you won't talk to me? I'm not sure why I'm like this. No doubt psychiatrists would say it was because of my childhood or something. Although my maternal family, the one I grew up in, was very talkative. Very, very talkative. It was impossible to get a word in edgeways. So maybe I just gave up trying. I don't know. Apparently I am more like my father, whom I never met, according to a distant and vague acquaintance. It could be genetic, though, as I have a half-sister, my father's legitimate daughter, who doesn't want to meet me or have contact with me. Of course, back in the 50s, illegitimacy was very much frowned upon, and I suppose I grew up vaguely aware that my family situation wasn't normal. And maybe I learned to be circumspect in what I revealed about myself in conversations. Now, you might be thinking for someone who claims she doesn't talk about her feelings, I say an awful lot about my emotions. And that's true. In recent years, through my writing, I've learned to accept many things and to be happy to be honest and discuss events and happenings when they're in the past. I usually need some distance before I talk about how I felt at the time, although I am getting better. If you listened to last week's episode, you'll be aware that it was quite an emotional one. It was written in the aftermath of the departure of younger son and family to live in Italy, and I was still in the process of picking up the pieces. What came as a shock to me was the sheer strength of emotion that I felt when they left. And it was impossible to bottle it up. It burst out. I couldn't keep it in. The pain showed itself as big, ugly, weepy tears that wouldn't stop flowing, and a knot in my stomach that was a reminder of the grief, even when I wasn't crying. And because it wouldn't let itself be enclosed safely in my body for me to deal with, or not, later on, I had no option but to talk about it, and I discovered, yes, it is good to talk. I talked a little to lots of people, regardless of whether they wanted to hear about it or not, and I talked more deeply to a few people who understood and who cared. That talking, plus writing out everything I was feeling, really helped. But the change that came over me in a comparatively short time could only be down to God. It was such a dramatic change, where one day I'd been existing, the next I was living again. I'm not a hugely spiritual person, as you may have worked out by now, but this felt supernatural. I knew the peace that passes understanding that Paul talks about in his letter to the Church of Philippi. This peace isn't logical or rational. It's not something that you can will yourself to feel, however much you want to. I've experienced it a couple of times before in my life, 
and it's very wonderful. Thinking about what I would say today, I wondered how to bring God and scripture into it. I wanted the theme to be, it's good to talk, because I am now convinced that it's true. But as far as I recall, there isn't a verse in the Bible that says, oh, and Jesus was a jolly good person to talk to. However, everything we read about him suggests that true. People felt safe to come to him with their ailments, cares and worries. The story that came into my mind was that of the woman who had suffered for 12 years with bleeding. She touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed. Jesus instantly knows something has happened and demands to know who touched him. She falls at his feet and admits it was her and tells Jesus why. Admittedly, this doesn't make Jesus sound as if he's good to talk to, but bear with me. In those days, during her period, a woman was considered unclean. Anyone who touched her was made unclean. Anything she sat or lay upon was also unclean. So imagine this poor woman who had suffered with bleeding for all that time, stigmatised, isolated, feeling unclean. What would it have taken her to venture into this crowd of people to seek out Jesus? And when she does, it's only to touch the hem of his garment. She wants to avoid attention at all costs. But Jesus draws that very attention to her. That seems unkind, out of character. So why does he do it? Of course, Jesus knew who had touched him and he knew what her ailment was. He could have left it at that. He didn't have to say, who touched me? I think it's because it's about more than physical healing. The woman could have slipped away and gone back to her life. But Jesus wanted more than that for her. He wanted to heal all the emotional pain she'd suffered during her isolation. Her grief at being an outcast, avoided by family and friends. Her sense of inadequacy, her loss of dignity, herself. Jesus wanted to deal with it all. Forced into it, the woman admits the truth. In front of the crowd, she talks about her bleeding. Maybe there was a subtle shuffling away by the crowd when they heard those words, expecting Jesus to be disgusted by her story. But he's not. The Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine Jesus bending down and taking the woman's hand very gently, raising her up to her feet again before saying, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Or as another translation, the message says, You took a risk, trust in me. Now you're healed and whole. Be blessed. The healing that Jesus offered was complete. Daughter, he called her daughter. For someone who had known no love or intimate contact for 12 years, how precious must that word have sounded. She took a chance, first to creep into the crowd and touch his robe, then to fall at his feet and tell him all. She could have slipped away even then. With all the jostling around Jesus, no one would have known or been able to point her out as the guilty one. But something made her come forward and speak. A longing, maybe, more powerful than the wish to be physically healed, the need to be emotionally whole again. It's just occurred to me, I wonder if she took to the road with Jesus and his followers afterwards, finding a new family in him, serving her master and telling her story to anyone who'd listen. 
no longer ashamed and humiliated, but someone who belonged, who had a place. We all have that place in Jesus' family. We are welcome sons and daughters. We have someone who can heal, who will carry us, someone we can talk to about anything. Jesus never gets embarrassed. That said, talking to people is good too. A brief aside, during lockdown, Grandson 4 became very careful about avoiding humans, as he liked to call them. It always made me laugh. So do find a human you trust to talk to, especially if you're struggling. Whatever gender we are, we need to talk. I've come to this conclusion far too late in life. Earlier on, I mentioned my ugly tears. The red, scrunched-up eyes and blotchy face may have made me look ugly, but my tears were beautiful. Healing, cleansing, feeling. Allowing the pain to flow out and God's healing to pour in. Please don't be afraid to talk or cry. God hears you and wants to help you in your pain. Thank you for listening. <laughs>